My task this morning, uh, and it's a delightful task, is to open the Word of God to you. And so, uh, if you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you have your Bible. And I'd like to read chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, and then we'll consider some things from there. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in all our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath come. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Father, we're thankful that you've given us your word. We're thankful for the work and the example of the Apostle Paul and the things that, that he did in the, his brief time in Thessalonica. We pray, Father, that as we look at this word, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about three things. But before I do, I want to just sort of give you an illustration at the beginning. It was 49 years ago this week that uh, Susan and I were sitting in a uh, sort of a coliseum, we were watching a, a holiday on ice. Uh, Susan has always loved ice skating. And so we were, we were there, we were watching it, we were having a wonderful time. She didn't know that I had a surprise planned. And so as intermission was getting closer, I reached out and I grabbed her hand and I slipped a ring on her finger. Now, you have to understand, back in those days, Cracker Jacks came in boxes, and in those boxes, there were sometimes, there were rings. So we would play back and forth. I would put a Cracker Jacks ring on her finger oftentimes. And so as I did this ring, she thought it was another Cracker Jacks ring. Well, it wasn't. And when she finally looked down, she went, and she was just stunned. And then intermission came. 
You know what she did? She stood up. Thousands of people around. Most of them we did not know. She stood up and starts going like this. <laughs> and the whole crowd breaks out in applause as she and we were engaged. Now, she wasn't planning this. It came to her. It was something that over the last 49 years, it's, it changed her life. Changed mine, too, thank God. Um, but she was not at all shy about sharing this wonderful news. It was something that she had hoped for. It was something that came unexpectedly, but it was the best possible news at that point. And I want to share a little bit here from Thessalonica about this same kind of an idea, because what Paul gives us here is something of a quick biography of the church in Thessalonica. Now, understand, if we go back to Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Thessalonica for about three weeks. That was all. He had three weeks in the synagogue reasoning with them before the riots in the streets started and they kicked him out of town. And so this church was very special to Paul, but they also had only about three weeks' worth of instruction from Paul. So it's a very young church. It's just very, uh, almost a babe in Christ, as it were. But look at what happened. There are three things I want to talk about. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that the gospel came to them. God sent the gospel to them in the persons of Paul and Silas. Secondly, when the gospel came to them, it changed their lives. And it changed their lives in very obvious ways. And then thirdly, the way it became obvious that their lives had been changed is that the gospel, literally, the word is, it wrung out from them to the whole world. And that's where we get to missions. So let's talk just real quickly about the first one. God sent the gospel to them. We sort of talk loosely at times about the idea that uh, I came to Christ, or I came to faith. or But it's interesting that Paul doesn't say it that way here. What he says is the gospel came to you. Understand that the gospel is under the control of God, and God sends it where he wants it to go. That's why he calls people to missions, because he's sending the gospel to different places to people in specific, people that he has already chosen. This is what Paul says. We know that God chose you because of the effect that the gospel had in your life. So the gospel comes to them under the sovereign direction of God. But let me push pause for a minute. I want to talk about the gospel because it's one of those words, quite frankly, that we, we use a lot. We, we, we all seem to think we know what it means. But let me just stop and talk about the gospel for a minute. What is the gospel? Well, Paul in 1 Timothy says this amazing thing. He said, Jesus Christ came into the world 
to save who? Sinners. Think about this. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to save people who were worthy. If it had been us, that's what we would do. We would go out and we would look for the people who were the most worthy and we would give them this gift. But instead, Jesus comes to the people who are the least worthy, the people who are sinners. And Paul never got over that truth. I hope we don't either. That we are sinners, but that sin is what qualifies us for the gospel. The gospel is not for people who are good and just need a little tune-up. The gospel is for sinners, people who are in desperate condition, people who have no right to expect anything from God whatsoever, and yet God graciously gives his son to them, to us. So our sin doesn't push Jesus away from us. Our sin is the very thing that draws him to us. Isn't that astounding? He meets us not when we're doing really good. He meets us in our sin. When we're not doing well at all. And that's where Jesus meets us. So all of our sin has been placed upon Jesus Christ. And he bore those sins to the cross and he paid the penalty for those sins so that our guilt and our shame are removed and they're taken away. Not only that, but Christ, as he took our sins on himself, he gave us his perfect righteousness so that we are as righteous as Christ is. <laughs> but Doc, you don't know about the fight that my wife and I had on the way to church this morning. Perfectly righteous. But the thoughts that are going on in my head, perfectly righteous. If you are in Christ, your sins have been removed, cast into the deepest sea, removed from you as far as the east is from the west, and when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous as Christ. How could that possibly be? And yet, this is the gift that God gives us. Through Christ, we are completely and unconditionally forgiven and restored to fellowship with the Father. Christ becomes our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. And he stands as the one who guarantees our salvation. And because of what Christ has done, as we trust in him, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God for us. Now, I know you know that, right? And I'm watching you. I'm looking at you. And you're sort of going, yeah, yeah, we know that. We know that. Check, check, check. Yeah, he got most of it. So, yeah. 
that ought to just stun us every time we stop and think about what God has done for us in Christ. It should cause us to rejoice. It should take care of an awful lot of that discouragement, if not all of that discouragement that we struggle with from day to day. We are redeemed. Well, imagine with me then, Paul taking this gospel to Thessalonica, and he begins to preach to them. And the gospel comes to them through the word that Paul, in particular, preaches to them. You know, Paul would go to the synagogues, and he would reason, it says in Acts, he reasoned for three weeks from the scriptures with them that Christ was the Messiah. And we tend to focus on the outward appearance of preaching. Some of you right now are wondering, why is he wandering all over the platform? All right, we, we have this sense of, you know, we're looking at the preacher and we're sort of grading in our minds. You know, well, yeah, he got that point right. And boy, I wish he would stay in the pulpit. All right, well, it, we focus on the outward. Jonathan Edwards would stand behind the pulpit and read a manuscript. All right, and yet God used him for revival. In Ghana, the preaching in Ghana, the preachers not only pace, but they carry a towel with them, and they yell, because in Ghana, to be anointed, you have to yell. And not only do you have to yell, but if you ain't sweating, you ain't preaching, all right? So they're wiping their brow the whole time, and that, that would be distracting, and it is distracting to me. So we tend to focus on the outside, but Paul says something really interesting. He says, the gospel didn't come to you in word only. It's not what I said that made the difference. You see, elsewhere in Scripture, it's the foolishness of the thing preached that God uses. There's, there's a sense in which, sorry, Seth, there's a sense in which preachers are called to just be fools for God. We stand up and make fools out of and God uses that foolishness to bring people to faith. But what Paul does is he sort of draws the curtain aside a little bit, and he says, let me show you what else was going on during those three weeks. I was speaking to you, but while that was going on, the very power of God was at work. You see it there? Our gospel didn't come only in word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was working in the lives and in the minds and hearts of the people who were hearing. And not only that, but he was bringing full conviction to these people. We tend to forget that. We focus on the outside. We fo can I say we focus on the performance? And we, we seldom stop to think about what God's doing secretly, behind the curtain, by the work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul said, that's exactly what happened to you. Because three weeks, I was reasoning with you, but the power of God, the Holy Spirit, full conviction took place. And then he said, and you know the manner of people that we were in your place. While we were there, you watched us 
You saw us under persecution. You saw us as we preached. You saw us as we provided for ourselves instead of asking you to give us money. You saw the kind of people we were. The amazing thing to me is that what God does is he weaves together the preaching of the word, the power, the Holy Spirit, the conviction, and even the character of the preacher. He weaves all of that together to call people to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing process that takes place every day all over the world. Because what God is doing right now is he is sending his gospel to people that he has chosen and calling them to faith. But Paul goes on and he says, here's how you know somebody's been called to faith. And that's my second point. The gospel changed them. The gospel changed them. It says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can illustrate how the gospel changes people by talking to you about a a man named Mahfoud. Mahfoud was the Lebanese director for an evangelistic ministry that's highly effective. It's called Agape Puppets. And they take puppets, puppet shows, and, and they work with children. And they use these puppet shows to teach the gospel to children in some of the most amazing places like Syria and Nepal and places where you couldn't go in and say, well, I'm going to preach the gospel. They go in with a puppet show and preach the gospel. And people thank them for coming. And the children call out and ask Jesus to be their rescuer. It's amazing. So Mafud was the Lebanese director. And one day he was outside working with some Syrian refugees because he loved to share the gospel. Mafud, by the way, is in heaven now. He passed away during COVID. But as they're outside working... It was very hot, and so they took their shirts off, and the Syrians stopped and looked at Mahfoud because he had scars all over his body. And they said, what happened to you? He said, what would you do, what would you do to somebody who did this to you? Well, they told him in very graphic terms exactly what they would do if somebody did that to them. They're all Muslims. Mafud looked at them and he said, you did this to me. Because he had served in the Lebanese-Syrian war. He had been injured, he had been captured, he had been tortured. He said, you did this to me, but now I serve you. And it was just stunning to them. As they saw the example, the imitation, if you will, of Christ in Mahfoud's life. And many of them, Muslims, came to faith because of that example. And they saw Christ in his behavior, in his imitation, if you will. And so Paul says, this is what the gospel does. It causes us to imitate Christ. It causes us to live a missional life. It causes us and enables us to become examples in spite of our sinfulness, examples of what the gospel can do. 
in the life of a sinner. So it's exciting to me as we stop to think about the gospel and the power of God that is included in the gospel. And the more we come to think about it, the more stunning it is. When we stop and we think about the breadth of our forgiveness, all of our sins, past, present, and future sins. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Doc, are you telling me that the sins I have not even committed yet are already forgiven? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. If you are trusting in Christ, They are all gone. None of them is held over your head. None of them are sins that you will have to somehow, by your obedience, pay for. Christ has paid for all of them. They are all covered by the blood of Christ. Now, there's another sermon in there, and I don't have time to go there. But if you were Ghanaians, the first question would be, so can I just go out and live any way I want to live? No. Because you're an imitator. You are an example. The gospel has changed you. But all of our sins, the breadth of the forgiveness is breathtaking. Not just part of them. You don't have to pay for any of them. Christ paid for all of them. You are completely righteous in the sight of God. There is no condemnation. God never looks at you now and says, Oh, I wish they did better. Because when he looks at you, he sees the perfect obedience of Christ. You are welcomed any time to come into the presence of God Almighty to call him daddy, and to ask for his help, to ask for his mercy. Anytime, day or night, 24 hours a day, you have access to the very creator of the universe who is your father. Try to help stir something in your heart a little bit. Not only that, but the triune God, talk about the Trinity, but the triune God is committed to finishing the work that he has begun in you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you right now. Jesus Christ is interceding for you right now. Right now, as you sit and listen to me preach, God the Father is on your side and committed eternally to you because of faith in Christ. And not only that, but you are guaranteed an eternity, an everlasting future in God's presence, perfectly restored in a new heaven and a new earth. That's good news, right? That's, that's good news. Some, a few of you are actually starting to smile. I'm glad to see that. Because you should. This is This is stunning. And just like when Susan got her ring and she's standing up and going like this, this should be something that we are just eager to share. 
it's such good news, how can I keep it to myself? And that's exactly what happened with the Thessalonians. Because not only did the gospel come to them when they weren't looking for it, it transformed them, yes, but then it just rings out from them. And that's literally the word there that is used. In the ESV, it says sounded out, but it's ringing like a bell, like thunder. It just came out of them. They couldn't help it. They couldn't wait to share these things with other people because this was the very best possible news. And what I want to say to you is that's missions. That's what missions is. Missions is not some kind of a guilt trip. I was taught this, I guess. I, was, I hated missions conferences. Can I say that? I hated missions conferences because I would sit there and I always felt like I was getting guilted into trying to do something. You know, you need to go somewhere to be a missionary. My grandfather was a missionary. My father was a missionary. I didn't want to be a missionary. So I would just sit there guilty the whole time. <sighs> I'm supposed to go somewhere. Missions isn't driven by guilt. It's not driven by panic because of all the people who won't be saved because you didn't share the gospel with them, right? We're reformed. We understand that. It's not even driven by duty, like, oh, i got to do this. It is driven by an understanding of the gospel of grace. This wonderful, amazing forgiveness that God has given us in Christ that we just can't wait to share with other people. That's the foundation. That's the basis. That's the motivation for missions, the gospel. And what that means is we're all missionaries. We all have that motivation. And wherever we find ourselves, in whatever circumstances, we have opportunities that God opens up before us to be able to say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You know, people ask you questions like, well, why are you so happy all the time? Well, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And they'll probably go, oh, another one of these Jesus people. All right? But that's fine. It's good news. You're not ashamed of it. Are you? So, what we see with Thessalonica is we see the gospel coming, the gospel changing, and the gospel ringing out from them. All right, so, I've done my duty as far as sort of giving you the three-point out. You know, they teach us three-point outlines. Uh, sometimes it's only two. But, um, but the question is, so what? So what? What does this mean? Interesting, maybe, exposition, but what does it mean for me? Well, first of all, let me say this. And you've heard hints of this already. My understanding of the gospel for many years was performance-based. I knew that Jesus had saved me, but I sort of thought that from that point on, it was up to me to make sure that God was happy with me. All right? That if I wasn't doing real well, God is sort of up there going, yeah, you're not, you're really not getting it. 
And if I was doing well, which ironically is not true, but if I thought I was doing well, then I thought God was happy with me. And so you go through life up and down. Uh, any of you understand that? Huh? Or am I just talking to nobody? Okay. I think a lot of us are. We're, we're performance-based. Everything we do, all of life is performance-based. And so we tend to view the gospel that way as well. But it's not. It's not based on your performance. You don't need to keep God happy because he's, he's ecstatic with you because of Christ. He loves you because you're in Christ. And he loves you, as a friend of mine says, he loves you because he loves you. And he always has from all eternity. And so you don't need to keep him happy. What we need to do is not dis get discouraged because there's sin in our life. We need to recognize that Jesus came for sinners. So if there's sin in your life, and I won't ask you to raise your hand because I know there's sin in your life because you're just like me. If there's sin in your life, that's what draws Jesus to you. Your sin doesn't push him away. It draws him to you. He came for sinners. So, first of all, preach the gospel to yourself every day. I think part of the reason it becomes so mundane in our thinking is because we don't think about it very much. We don't preach to ourselves what God has actually done for us in Christ and who we are in Christ. I wake up every morning a pagan, and I have to find Christ again. I have to preach the gospel to myself again and realize what God has done. And as I do that, quite frankly, it's exciting. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. Because... It doesn't depend on how I'm feeling or how I'm doing at any point in time. Preach the gospel to yourself daily, all right? Secondly, missions is this gospel, if you will, just sort of leaking out of your life into the world around you. That's what missions is. This is how all the families of the earth are being blessed, as missions leaks out or it spills over out of the lives of God's people, as the joy of the gospel, as the message of the gospel spills over into the lives of those around us, all the families of the earth are being blessed. And it's happening right now. It's hard to see. And we in the U.S. at times mistakenly think that the condition of the church is the condition of the church in the U.S. But the church of Jesus Christ is not like here. And I wish I could take you with me to Africa and see God's people just hanging on the word. Half an hour? You're done already? Don't you have another sermon that you can preach? We came... We're here. Preach more. That's why it's hard for me to stick 
to half an hour sometimes. I have my watch going. It's going to warn me here in a minute. Because in Africa, you preach until you're done. Or you preach until they don't want any more. And that can sometimes be a couple hours. Wow. The condition of the church is different overseas. It's exploding. It's growing. Now, yes, they don't have all their I's dotted and their T's crossed. But the gospel is going out. And Christ is being glorified. So this is how the gospel, as it rings out from you, God is sending out his good news. He's sending out his blessing. We are privileged as we engage in missions and as we support missions, we are blessed to be able to be part of the fulfillment of that prophecy that was given to Abraham all those years ago, that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So finally, let me just say this. Has the gospel come in power to you? I just told them, I'm not, my time's up. Has the gospel come to you? Have you trusted in Christ? Has it changed you? Is it changing you? And is it overflowing out of your life? It's good news. It should ring, pun intended, it should ring from your life like any good news would. And so may God bless you as you continue, both individually as a church and as a church, to do the work of bringing out the gospel.